Well, good morning. If I can just say thank you, uh, you have all been so kind and gracious to us, not just today and this week, but over these last several weeks, just so many incredible kind and gracious words have been shared with us. I was talking with Jennifer earlier this week, and I said, people just keep saying they're excited. I said, like, they keep saying it over and over again. I'm not sure what to do with all of that. But we really, truly have been both humbled and blessed by your warm welcome. And I also would say, if you're a guest with us today, my desire for you is that you would feel welcomed and belonged, just belonged, is that a word? Why not? Like I said, you're so kind and gracious. I really, though, if you are a guest, I, I hope you would get that same sense of welcome and belonging that we've received here in this church. It's been such a blessing, so thank you so much. It's uh, a joy for me to have my, my family here today. A lot of you probably know the, the next four and a half months, we're gonna be kind of be apart as Jennifer and the kids are finishing out the school year in Spokane Valley. So we'll be going back and forth some, but it's so good to have them here today and, and to have my dad here uh, today as well. We're, we're thankful for that. And I, I think my in-laws are all joining together watching us live. So uh, hello to the Anderson and Bacon clans. Glad to have you with us this morning too. You know, I, I drove down on Monday, and it's been a week of getting oriented. I've met a lot of people, and I think I remember one or two names so far. <laughs> I've also started to get to know the staff, not just the pastoral staff, but some of the rest of the staff. And I would just say it's been such a joy. We truly do have an incredible staff here, and we are very blessed to have them in this church. And I've enjoyed getting to know them and am looking forward to continuing to get to know them and, and all of you more. Tuesday was my first day in the office and I think before I even had lunch, I had the opportunity to have a tour downstairs to see some of what was happening with the work uh, downstairs in, in our children's area. And I believe we have our children with us in service this morning. And for all of our kids who are here today, I just wanna say, how excited I am for you to have a children's space that's refreshed and renewed for you to worship and learn and grow together. And I'm so excited for you to get to be back in there real soon. And for all of you who helped wade through the waters and move things out and clean up and paint, and for those of you who donated, thank you for your investment in our children. They're all of our responsibility, and we're just so grateful for that. I also was given a, a key this week that I think unlocks just about every door in the building. <laughs> but after they gave me the key, they didn't give me any directions or any restraints, <laughs> which looking back could have been a problem. If I didn't have a phone with GPS, I probably would have been stuck somewhere still this morning, not able to be with you. <laughs> but I, I did discover, I think there's something like 100 doors on the outside of this building. 
so it might take me two years to figure out where I'm supposed to stand after service. <laughs> so if I'm at the wrong door, or if I say something and we just don't understand each other yet, just remember this. It's dadkins at nampaccn.com. <laughs> I think there was some miscommunication two weeks ago, so. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to join me in Romans. I just want to read a couple verses for us this morning. And I'd invite you, if you're able to, to just stand as we read God's Word. So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say to so where I came from, people didn't know that. <laughs> so I would say, and we all say together, and then everyone would say, thanks be to God. And that's been my routine for the last five years. Uh, but thanks be to God for his word today, amen? amen. You may be seated. Have you ever celebrated a holiday with family that's not your own? I mean, even, even if it's good friends, maybe you've celebrated a, a holiday with some good friends, and they have extended family who joins for the gathering that you don't know so well. If you've ever been in a situation like that, chances are there came a moment when something was said or maybe something was not said, and everybody just started to laugh. And you felt like you missed something. Anybody ever experienced that before? Chances are what happened is twofold. On one hand, you probably didn't miss a thing. You probably heard everything that was said and witnessed everything that happened. But you also probably missed a whole lot. Because there's so much about communication that isn't just what happens in the moment. It's, it's surrounded with everything else that goes with it. The history, the, the stories, the memories, the personalities, all of that. So I want to kind of take a little different approach today. I, I really just kind of want to share a few stories with you today. I think stories help us get to know one another. They, they do help with that. But I also believe that stories are powerful. I think that stories have the power to shape us and inform us. For one, this faith that we proclaim is an embodied faith. At the core of our faith, we, we talk about the incarnation, that we have a God who came in flesh, that we know so much of God because God has come to us. And as those of us who've received the love and grace of God, we are in turn called to embody that faith to those around us. And stories, I think, sometimes help to illustrate this or form us in those kinds of ways. So I want to share a few stories today, some stories that have shaped me, but also 
stories that, that I think help illustrate in some manner what we mean when we say that we are a new creation community. Which, by the way, for the last decade or so, new creation has been one of my favorite ways to talk about the way God's love and grace works in us. So it's, a part of, it's fun to be a part of this journey together. Romans chapter 12, these first two verses anyway, the, the whole chapter is wonderful. But I think it's these first two chapter, or these first two verses of this chapter that was the first passage of scripture that really kind of clicked for me in terms of, of understanding what is it that we mean when we talk about living a holy life? What is it that we mean when we, when we talk about living this, this sanctified life that comes from the grace of God working within us? I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and so I heard many messages on sanctification, many messages on holiness. But it wasn't until sometime in college when, when it all kind of clicked together from more of an understanding to the words that I'd heard to also seeing examples of this within my own life. And so I, I want to reflect on these two verses through that lens. One of the things that Paul says here is do not be conformed. You know, as I think about that, I'm, I'm reminded of, of an experience we had back when we lived in, in Michigan. When we were pastoring in Michigan, there was a state park about a half hour from where we lived called Sleepy Hollow State Park. Sounds like a good place in October, right? There was a large lake, and so sometimes we would camp there, but sometimes we would just go for the day because it had a, had a nice beach where you could in, just enjoy the scenery and cool off when it got hot in those warm, humid Midwest summers. That's right, Brent. <laughs> As we were sitting there one day, there was a, a group of, of three or four teenager or college-age girls who headed down to the water with their, their floaty things. And they got in the water, and they started to float in the swimming area, and then they kind of got to the edge of the swimming area, and they, they went beyond the, the rope that was out there, and, and they drifted a little farther, and they were just enjoying the day. Well, after a little time, I, I looked out, and they'd kind of gotten a little bit farther out beyond the swimming area. And the thing was, it was fairly breezy that day. But at first, I don't think they thought much of it because in the warm humidity, a breeze feels pretty nice. But eventually, that breeze caught them and started to push them a little farther. And I noticed about the time this happened, they didn't notice for a little bit longer. And once they noticed, they tried to paddle in, but they were no match for the power of the wind and the current that had caught them at that time. And the wind and the current carried them to the other side of the lake. Thankfully for them, somebody in a boat saw this happen and, and motored over there and picked them up and brought them back to the other side of the lake. But I think that's a good example of some of the power of the patterns of the world the currents of the world that can catch us. And sometimes, quite honestly, we get caught up in the patterns of these world. And like the wind on a hot day, it feels kind of nice at first. But they can catch us and take hold of us and carry us. And by the time we realize it, it's too powerful to overcome what is happening to us. 
You know, as I, as I think about some of this and I think about the, the, the patterns of the world that catch us and take hold of us, sometimes those are really hard to identify and distinguish because they're all around us. When I started my time at NNC, I'm older than I want to be. My first year in school, I was in a class, and one of the books we read was a book by Plato called The Republic. And in The Republic, there's a part of it called The Allegory of the Cave. Some of you are probably familiar with this. Plato gives this allegory of people who are, are in a cave. Let's just pretend we're in the cave today. People who are in a cave, and, and the back of the cave is, is behind where we are. It's the only opening in all of the light that comes into the cave comes from back behind. And everybody who is in the cave is, is fixed in a manner just like all of you are, where you can only see the back wall of the cave. But as the light comes in from the back, there are people who pass by, people riding bikes and walking dogs and throwing frisbees. And for those who are in the cave, you see the, the image of that, the shadows on the wall of the back of the cave. And Plato says, imagine that you'd spent your entire life in that cave, and all you'd ever seen was the shadows on the wall. And then he says, imagine that there was somebody from within that cave who got loose and who went out and who realized that out there was what was really true. And what you were seeing were just shadows of the truth all along. And then imagine how difficult it would be for that person to come back in and try to convince everyone else that what you are seeing is a mere shadow of the truth. You know, it's helped me think about some of the, the power of the patterns of this world. The things of this world are just shadows of the truth of God's gospel. But for those who've only ever known the shadows, it's so challenging to see what is true. One of the reasons it's so challenging to see what's true is just like in Plato's allegory of the cave, there's nothing we can do to turn ourselves around or to free ourselves. That transformation only happens by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. But when Paul calls us to be transformed, he's not saying that we have to do this through our own strength and power. He's saying that God has loved us so much that Christ became like us so that we could become like him. That we could be transformed, changed, become the new creation. As a result of this, Paul encourages us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I realize sacrifice is not a four-letter word, but for many in our culture, it could be a four-letter word. We don't like to think about sacrifice. In fact, a lot of advertising tries to convince us that there's an easier way, whether it's an, an easier way to lose weight or an easier way to make money or an easier way to accomplish everyday tasks. But in God's kingdom, we are called to live a life of sacrifice. Not just to kind of grin it and bear it because that's what we have to do. But really, this picture that Paul is painting for us is what the truth has been all along. Sometimes we talk about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. 
Just to orient us to same language, I like to think that it's the right side up nature of the kingdom of God. It's just the world that's upside down. And upside down might seem like it's the real deal. But God invites us up in, or invites us into the right side up nature of God's kingdom. And we're invited to live our lives as a living sacrifice. To live our lives in such a manner in which the love and grace that we've received is offered freely to those around us. And even though that might seem counterintuitive at first, it's like getting a, a new pair of shoes or a new pair of, of jeans that when you put them on, they feel better than anything you've ever had before. Where's this been my whole life, right? When we join into that right side up nature of God's kingdom, it's just so good. But this idea of sacrifice seems strange to us. Maybe an example will help. What would you call a person who takes control of your life? Somebody who takes your time, your money, your attention, all of your energy? You know, you could call that person a terrorist, or you could call that person an infant. If you've ever had a child, you know that it changes everything. They take all of who you are, all of your attention, all of your efforts, everything. It's, it's radically disorienting. Sometimes it can even leave you questioning if you did the right thing or not. <laughs> Thankfully, what usually happens is that you live into this new reality this reality in which your world is less about you than it had been before. You discover that there was a part of you that you never knew existed, a part of you that is greater than what you'd experienced before. I realize that's not a perfect example, but that kind of points us in the direction we're headed about the right side up nature of God's kingdom. So see, these, these ideas from Romans chapter 12 are some of what captured my imagination some years ago. And as this captured my imagination, there were some things that, that kind of clicked for me, some things that I began to remember. I grew up in Longview Church of the Nazarene in Longview, Washington. Some of you who are here today have family in that church right now. You know, growing up in that church, there was a lady named Pearl Dixon who was old as long as I can remember. <laughs> Talk about that some other time. As I began to get into the youth group, though, there was a story that I started to hear about Pearl. There was a, a period of a few years when our, our youth group had brought in some small Christian rock groups for concerts. And one year, before I was in the youth group, they brought in a group called David and the Giants. I've never even heard one of their songs before. I didn't go because Michael W. Smith was about as wild as crazy as it got for me at that time. <laughs> but our youth group hosted this concert, and during the concert, our, our youth pastor at some point walked out in, into the foyer, the space behind the sanctuary. And he saw Pearl Dixon sitting there. And so he went up to Pearl and he said, Pearl, if you don't mind me asking, what are you doing here tonight? I can't imagine that this is the kind of music that you enjoy. 
And she said, oh no, I don't really care for this music. But whatever it takes to reach somebody for Jesus. And if God can use this concert for somebody to come to know Jesus, then I want to make sure I'm a part of it. As I heard that story after the fact, it had an impact on my life that here was somebody in my church, a lot older than I was, who was willing to set aside some of her own preferences in order to be a part of what God might be up to. And I've remembered that to this day. Some years later, as I got a little older, as I was a student across the street, I, I had a class called The Parables of Jesus with George Lyons. Is Dr. Lyons here today? What's that? He'll be home tomorrow. He'll be home tomorrow. <laughs> He's coming. I was going to ask him if it's okay if I call him George now. I wanted to make sure he can't go back and change my grades if I do that. <laughs> Hopefully he can't because it's too late now. We were in this class on the parables of Jesus and one day we were talking about Luke chapter 15, which tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, which we often refer to as the prodigal son. You know, parables reveal something about the nature of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we were reflecting on was here in Luke chapter 15, we see that God so desperately loves the lost. You know, there's some of you here today, if you hear nothing else, hear this, God loves you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, God loves you. And as Dr. Lyons, I'll keep talking to him, telling him doctor until I get permission to call him George. As Dr. Lyons was reflecting on this, he started talking about people in the community, people in our community around us, who do not know the good news of Jesus Christ. As he was talking about these people that he didn't even know in our community, he began to cry. As I witnessed this, I thought, I want to have that kind of a heart. Not just because I'm studying to be a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. Because we believe that God calls every single follower of Jesus Christ to a lifetime of Christian ministry. God calls some of us to be pastors, some to be professors, some even to be general superintendents. But God calls every single one of us to a lifetime of Christian ministry. My favorite definition of calling is this. Calling is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And every single one of us are called to ministry. Amen? All right, pause for a second. I won't do that very often, but if I say amen... Your response is, Amen. there we go. <laughs> you know, we are called to live this out. One last story. Some of you know that my mom tragically died 14 and a half months ago. 
In days like this, I especially miss her. The first weekend of November that year, my mom was inducted to the Oregon State University Athletic Hall of Fame. When my mom was in college, she did crew. Some of you have either read the book or recently seen the film Boys in the Boat. It's what my mom did in college. She transferred in as a sophomore, and sometime after transferring to Oregon State, she was in a PE class, and her teacher said that anybody who signed up for crew got an automatic A. <laughs> and my mom didn't think of herself as an athlete, but she thought an A sounded pretty good, so she signed up. My mom would become the very first woman in Oregon State University history to qualify for nationals. And in two years, she was a three-time medalist, meaning she placed in the top three at nationals. There was a fourth time that she finished second. She actually rode with a woman from Cal, and they'd never rode together before, and they placed second at nationals. But because they were from different schools, it, it didn't count. But when I heard that story about my mom, I thought, that sounds a lot like her. Able to work with anyone and everyone and get along. So my mom was inducted to the Oregon State University Athletic Hall of Fame on a Saturday evening. That following Wednesday, my mom and dad drove over to our house to watch our kids so Jennifer and I could take a weekend away. And shortly after arriving, my mom had some very minor stroke-like symptoms. So minor, in fact, that I called a nurse from our church to say, what, what should we do? And, she suggested we go into the hospital, so we did, and they diagnosed her with a, a really minor stroke. They said, though, these kinds of strokes can come and go and sometimes get worse, and since there was no bleeding, they suggested that we give the clot-busting medicine. Unfortunately, my mom had a very severe reaction. She had a major hemorrhage, and in spite of immediate attention and intervention. She died two weeks later, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. I officiated her memorial service, one of the greatest blessings and also most difficult things to do. And even then, even after knowing my mom my whole life, I learned some new things about her. One of the things I learned is that when my parents moved to, to Longview, my mom was offered a job at Columbia Heights Elementary, the same elementary school my sister and I would later attend. I knew that after my parents were first married, when my dad was in grad school, my mom taught in the Corvallis area. But I also knew she'd never taught when they moved to Longview. What I didn't know was at that time, my, my parents were, were hoping to start a family. But things weren't going quite as smoothly as they hoped. Some of you here today know that struggle. And my mom was offered a job teaching at Columbia Heights Elementary. And my mom loved kids. And she loved teaching kids. But what she loved most was teaching kids about Jesus. And it just so happened that at that same time, there was a local chapter of Child Evangelism Fellowship that was starting in the Longview area. And rather than taking a job to collect a paycheck, my mom wanted to donate her time to teach children about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. 
My mom was involved with Child Evangelism Fellowship for over 50 years. In fact, when I was in, in fourth grade, the local chapter there was in need of a director, so my mom agreed to be the temporary director, and she served as the temporary director for the next 26 years. <laughs> Over the years, my mom literally taught tens of thousands of children about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. She also taught hundreds of adults how they in turn could do the same. At my mom's memorial service, there were people who came from as far north as the Canadian border and as far south as central California just to be there that day. There were other people from around the country who tuned in to the live stream. And there were even people watching live from as far away as the country of Madagascar. The reason they did that is because they had experienced God's love poured out through my mom. So why do I share all of this about my mom today? That's a big part of my life, especially recently. I wanted you to know that. But for me, my mom has also been one of those people who's been an example to me of God's love poured out to those around us. And the reason my mom lived in such a way in which she so freely gave love to those around her is because she had so freely received God's love in her life. I realize today, there's some of you here today who don't feel very lovable. And I just want you to know, God loves you so much. God loves you greatly. Maybe the greatest example we see of God's love poured out for us is what we've seen through the cross. As he who was without sin took our sins upon himself so that we might be set free. I also realize that there are some of you here today who maybe feel stuck in the patterns of the world as if that wind has caught you and there's now nothing you can do about it. And the same God who loves us so greatly has offered us his love and grace that can set us free when we're stuck in the patterns of this world. So our lives can be transformed and we truly can be a new creation. And I know that sometimes when we hear things like that said in church, it, it almost seems a little too difficult to comprehend. And it should because it is. I'll be the first to tell you, I can't explain all of that to you. But I would invite you to experience it for yourself. To experience the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. I also realize there's many others here today who you've experienced the poured out love of Jesus Christ in your life in a deeply personal and meaningful way. And I just want to remind you that our lives were never intended to be a bucket or a bowl in which we try to connect, collect as much of God's love and grace as we could. Our lives were meant to be more like a conduit through which God's love and grace can pour. See, the reality is, is God never stops pouring out God's love and grace into our lives. And we can never be more generous with love and grace than God is generous with us. So may we not hold that to ourselves. In just a few moments today, we're going to share together 
in a simple meal that we call the communion meal. And for those who are helping us, you can go ahead and start making your ways forward. You know, as we share regularly in this meal together, it's a reminder of that poured out love and grace of Jesus Christ. But it's more than just a reminder. This is a means of grace. This is one of the ways in which we experience that poured out nature of God's love and grace in our own lives. And so as we, as we sing together and as, as our ushers distribute the elements, I'd invite you to receive that and hold on to that until everyone's had a chance to be served. But as you receive that, that bread and that, that juice, be reminded of the generous love of God that sets us free and that is poured into us so that it might flow out of us.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful today for your love poured out for us. And God, as we are gathered here and we prepare to receive this simple meal of bread and juice, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit at work, that this meal of bread and juice would be your love and grace for us. God, likewise, we pray that as we prepare to go from this place, that by your Holy Spirit, our simple lives would be your love and grace to those we meet. So God, today we humbly come ready to receive the gracious gifts that you've offered to us. Amen. If I remember correctly, your previous pastor would often say, may we eat or may we become what we eat or something similar to that. As those who receive the love of God poured out to us, may we become the love of God poured out to those around us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. It came time to pass the bread, and Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Later in the meal, it was time to pass the cup. And Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for you, part of the new covenant. Whenever you eat of the bread or drink of the cup, do so in remembrance of me and always give thanks. Let us drink together. Lord God, we thank you so much for these gracious gifts of yours. May we become like you. Amen.
congregation, sing that hymn together, glory. Glory to last two years in Spokane Valley, we've done the same benediction together, a responsive benediction. And just so I could feel a little normal today, I asked if we could do that today. So I'd invite you to join me for our benediction today. As we go today, we acknowledge that we can't live godly lives. We can't be the love and grace of God poured out through us, through our own strength and power. We need God's grace, and we also need one another. As we go from here, Lord, help us to hear your voice in the midst of the noise that surrounds us. As we go from here, Lord, help us to reflect your love and grace to all we need. As we go And as we go, may you go in the grace and peace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.